Welcome to the second episode of the Mark Geis Show. This is your host, Mark Geis, and I want to thank you for tuning in to another episode. So, I didn't really know what I was going to talk about next following my discussion of Brexit the other day, but obviously with uh, with the internet the way it is, inspiration has a way of finding you. So, today, there's a story... I don't really care about this, but the reaction to it, I guess, warrants me having an opinion on it. So, Justin Timberlake got in trouble for tweeting out following a speech at the BET Awards. So, first of all, I was flipping through the channels last night trying to find something to watch, staying in a hotel room, so I actually have cable for once. And I saw the BET Awards on something like five different channels. I know... I remember it was on MTV, Comedy Central, Um, it was definitely on BET itself, and there were at least one or two other channels I saw it on too. Are there any award shows on that many channels? I I, I couldn't believe how many different platforms uh, that award show had compared to anything else. I hate award shows, so I just flipped right through. Um, but I just kept noticing the same thing over and over again. I ended up watching the Dodgers and Pirates game last night, which turned out to be a pretty good one. Um, but anyways, Jesse Williams had a speech. I'm going to go into the details of it. But he had a speech basically uh, demonizing white people for taking advantage of and exploiting black people um, for killing black people. Talking about police killing black people. Uh Kind of going into that whole thing, it was about two or three minutes long, probably something like that. But after this, Timberlake sent out a tweet and basically praised his speech. So he said, at I, Jesse Williams, uh, or Jesse Williams, though, hashtag inspired, and then I think he tagged the the award show handle or something, or the the Twitter uh, trending hashtag thing. Um, so he just tweeted out basically praising what he had just said and immediately people jumped on him and accused him of appropriating black music black culture while not really caring about the problems of black people so I have the little back and forth here but somebody right away this Ernest Owens character said so does this mean you're going to stop appropriating our music and culture and apologized to Janet, too. So, referencing the Janet Jackson Super Bowl uh, mishap where he pulled off her shirt and her, her breast was exposed to the world. I was pretty young when that happened, but remember how big of a deal that was. Um, he actually responded back to it, Oh, you sweet soul, the more you realize that we are the same, the more we can have a conversation. Bye. And then somebody else came back named Shelly from DeBlock and said, your whole career has been biting off of black music. You wouldn't even be as popular as you are if you were black. And then um, somebody else said, go ahead and be inspired, but you have a platform to speak up on issues that affect the cultures you're appropriating. Um, So basically people jumped on him, and it was more than just these two. That Ernest Owens one was the one I saw the most. That was kind of the top one when you clicked on it. That was the one most people were referencing, but... There were a lot of people saying the same thing. Basically, you're appropriating our culture, or you're appropriating black culture, and then you're not respecting the people whose culture you are appropriating. You're not doing enough to care about their issues. 
Um, so I went back. I actually saw the stuff about the Timberlake tweet first before even hearing anything about this speech. I don't know if the speech would have been quite as popular if it hadn't been for this whole controversy. But so I went back and listened to it. I promised you I'd give you some more details on it. And I wanted to have some frame of reference of what he was talking about. Because you're going to get a lot of biased stuff from each direction about what he said and why people reacted to Timberlake the way that they did. So I wanted to see it for myself. So I have a quote here, I think, that best sums up what Williams's message was. And it came near the end of the speech. It, it, it is... We're done watching and waiting while this invention called whiteness uses and abuses us, burying black people out of sight and out of mind while extracting our culture, our dollars, our entertainment, ghettoizing and demeaning our creations, then stealing them, gentrifying our genius, and then trying us on like costumes before discarding our bodies like rinds of strange fruit. The thing is, just because we're magic doesn't mean we're not real. So there were a few very interesting little tidbits in there that I want to dissect a little bit. So the first was, near the beginning of that, the quote, invention called whiteness. So when I was thinking about this, does this mean that blackness is also an invention then? What does he mean by it being an invention? And what I don't understand is how people call race an abstraction. But then they frame every single thing that happens in terms of race. There's, there's just a fundamental disconnect between those two things. If you think that race is an abstraction, then it, why is it talked about? Why are, you bringing ev- why are you bringing race into every single discussion that we have? And then if somebody else doesn't also frame everything in, in, doesn't frame everything in terms of race or doesn't think of the racial implications of every single action that they do, then all of a sudden, it makes that person ignorant, bigoted, racist, whatever word people want to use to describe that. So I just, I don't get that whole idea. If, if whiteness is an invention, then blackness is an invention. And why, then why are we talking about this? But if blackness isn't an invention, then whiteness isn't an invention. Then there, are, then there is a fundamental difference between the two. So you, you can't have your cake and eat it too here. Another quote, gentrifying our genius. So, I think according to Jesse Williams, for whatever reason, black creations aren't allowed to be enjoyed by everybody else. Could you imagine if every time any non-white person ate a hamburger, or listened to Mozart, or read Shakespeare, if white people labeled that gentrifying our genius, gentrifying white people's genius... First of all, I don't think I'm narcissistic enough or desperate enough to take the credit for what people that just happen to have the same skin color as me did in the past. What they did is no more mine than the Chinese invention of gunpowder. You know, I can't say any of those creations are more mine than what another race has done. And other people enjoying one's art and being influenced, it's it's a sign of respect. Isn't the purpose of art to make an impact on people? Art, just like science, just like so much else in our lives, it makes a far bigger impact when it actually inspires other people and inspires them to push frontiers that may have never before been pushed. And is that going to happen when you only allow your art to be enjoyed by people that happen to look like you? Or is that more like more likely to happen when 
everybody can enjoy what you have to create. And when these people are inspired by what you have to create, now they create ideas are recycled. Everything that we do isn't purely original. There's always some way that I think the of all this and spin on it. And maybe we have do have our own perspective and some original thoughts that we haven't heard before, but it's all inspired by prior thinkers. It's the same movies, same thing with science. Just don't get this how if things if media or whatever produced by whites has some similarity to to what was produced by blacks that all of a sudden that's gentrifying our genius one more quote that i wanted to to unwind a little bit or unpack a little bit just because we're magic doesn't mean we're not real so i know i'd mentioned narcissism before but this really takes the cake in that department you're a human being with strengths and weaknesses. I'm a human being with strengths and weaknesses. And I really don't have the balls to call any group I belong to magic. Obviously, that's just me. Jesse, you can do what you want to do. But it just seems pretty self-promoting and narcissistic to me to do that. And I would never do the same about any group that I belong to. There's another quote that I think is more important to the discussion that I want to have. Um, and I'm going to twist his words a little bit, but I'm giving the, the original quote first, and then I want to give my perspective. So here's the quote, beginning. This is for the real organizers all over the country. The activists, the civil rights attorneys, the struggling parents, the families, the teachers of students that are realizing that a system built to divide and impoverish and destroy us cannot stand if we do. So I want you to remember the last part of that quote. A system built to divide and impoverish and destroy us cannot stand if we do. I've got some other quotes to throw at you too. I apologize for all the quotes, but I think they are important. It's important first to hear exactly what Jesse Williams said. And then there are some just important quotes that I thought of immediately when I heard this. So this is a quote from Thomas Sowell, probably my favorite author brilliant economist and, and historian and he's done a lot of great work on race issues around the world and most specifically in the United States. But he's done a lot of great studies on, on what's happened around the world. Um, but here's a quote from him. The black family survived centuries of slavery and generations of Jim Crow where most black children grew up in homes with just two parents. When blacks were just one generation out of slavery the census data of that era showed that slightly higher percentages of black adults had married than white adults. So that's a quote from Thomas Sowell. Another important data point, every census from 1890 to 1950 showed that black labor force participation rates were higher than those of whites. And this really, This is one of the most inspiring stories of progress by a group of people in human history. So the vast majority of blacks couldn't read or write 100 years prior, coming out of slavery, coming out of the Civil War. Um, but in the course of just a handful of generations, had shown such incredible progress, and had exceeded the white population in several measures like these. And I think the black community should be extremely proud of that kind of progress. It shows that a strong group of people can make significant process even when racist attitudes are all around them. 
However, this isn't the story of black progress that the activists want you to believe, that they want to promote, because ultimately it makes them unneeded. They want you to believe that what was responsible for black advancement. It was the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and big affirmative action programs. That's been what's been responsible uh, among the black populace, according to these activists. Basically, big government had to step in and enact policies in order for black people to show any material progress. It was impossible for black people to advance on their own, according to this viewpoint. This really couldn't be any further from the truth, though. So, in 1965, 76% of black children were born to married women. That percentage has fallen precipitously. I don't have the exact number of what it is today, but it's, it's certainly less than half. And I, I think far less than half. It's probably about the inverse of that. Um, marriage rates among blacks have fallen precipitously since the 1960s. Black labor force participation has fallen significantly relative to white labor force participation since the 1960s. Measure upon measure shows similar declines traced back to about that time period, about to the mid-1960s. And this is when the Great Great Society was enacted by Lyndon Johnson and his administration. Huge welfare programs, and those programs hadn't previously existed in American history. And what did this do? created disincentives to work, to get married, to remain together to raise children, disincentives to all of these things. And, I mean, the data is so obvious if you go back and look at it. I don't know what else you could draw as being the ultimate cause. There's no way that people today are more racist than they were in the 1960s. There's no way that as generations got older and younger generations came up and replaced and that those younger generations were more racist than the previous generations who would have remembered a time when blacks and whites were separated in all aspects of life. That is just, that's incomprehensible. It's impossible, really. So I think the issues that the black community wants to blame on whiteness, on racism, or on residual effects of slavery, it can be blamed instead or they can be blamed instead on the culture of dependency that these big government programs have produced and that the great society and the world that we've had since the 1960s the the system of huge entitlements that we've had since the mid 1960s that's the real system built to divide and impoverish and destroy the black community so it's not white people it's big government and i think that's where this ties into looking at things through a more libertarian lens is that this issue it is framed so incorrectly and i talked about this on my previous podcast but i think there is just a (laughs) the left and the left is very sympathetic to these kind of views and they've kind of absorbed a lot of these views but they don't want to look at history because history tends to not be on their side or it's almost never on their side. And on this issue, you can see it's it's not a, it, it's not a culture of slavery or residual effects of slavery that's causing all these huge statistical disparities between blacks and between whites. That's not what's causing it. Because you saw there was tremendous black progress for generations 
following the Civil War, following the Emancipation Proclamation, following blacks being freed from the shackles of slavery. Tremendous progress. And all of a sudden, that progress was halted and reversed in the mid-1960s. This is the only thing, like I said before, that this is the only cause that really makes sense. If, if anybody out there has any other cause that you can show as strongly as this with the data, I would love to see it. I would love to be proven wrong. But nothing else has ever made any sense. Like I said before, there's no way that people became more racist in the 1960s. There's no way that's what caused it. And I don't know what other effect there could possibly even be. So I want to make sure that we continue to look things through a historical lens. And I had said this in the previous podcast that the more well-versed we are in history, the more likely we are to be able to make convincing points like this because they all can be proven or at least well-supported by what has happened throughout history. I want to talk a little bit about kind of the implications of blaming all of the issues in the black community on whiteness. So I think, first of all, that kind of racist rhetoric where you're blaming basically one whole group of people, and it's a, t- it's a lot of people. If you're blaming all of your community's problems on that group of people, it's going to inherently lead to similar rhetoric coming now from the other side. So you're going to have now racist rhetoric start to come from whites. And it may just be a a tiny sliver of the white population. But you're going to have more of it than you would have had absent whites as a whole now being called racist or holding blacks down. And I think it's I think it's inevitable. And I talked about the alt-right on my previous podcast. I'm going to use them again as an example here. But they represent a reaction from a very small segment of the white population. And I also compare it to, if you look at what's happened with feminism and how radical a lot of feminists have, have become, it's resulted in a small segment of the male population becoming meninists or men going their own way you know as as feminism has gotten more and more extreme it's caused that to now be the male reaction even though it's only coming from a tiny sliver of the male population but i think even more important than the effects on the white population is how it teaches younger generations of black people to see the world so if they buy into this rhetoric a few things happen. So first, first, they're socialized to believe that someone is out to get them at all times, which is a dangerous way to live life. And no, somebody is not out to get you at all times. Somebody is probably not out to get you ever. But to live your life that way, you're going to constantly blame whatever happens in your life on whoever's out to get you. Next, if someone of a different race appreciates what they do, rather than be happy about somebody appreciating what you do. Because it is so hard in this world, I think, to do something that other people value. And that brings people a lot of happiness. But so if every time someone of a different race appreciates what they do, they're going to think it's only because that person wants to figure out how to exploit it. And now how do I turn this into something I can present to a white audience and destroy the uniqueness of it or the purity of it? 
And that is also a very dangerous way to live your life. Because I think so much of what we derive happiness from is from other people appreciating what we do. And whether it's from appreciating a job well done at a day of work, it could be, you know, you could do anything, whatever you do for work. Or it could be something like you create a song or a mix of songs or you write an article or something. And if somebody appreciates it, that brings you a lot of happiness because it's somebody actually valuing what you took your time to produce. But in this case, they would only derive happiness if a black person appreciated what they did. If a white person appreciated what they did, well, I still can't trust that person because all they're trying to do is exploit me. Next, and this might be more dangerous than the first two, uh, when they don't get what they want, it is due to somebody else's racism. It's due to somebody being racist toward them. I think part part of growing up and really part of being human is not always getting what we want. It's understanding scarcity, and it's understanding that no matter how hard I try, I'm not always going to get exactly what I want. No matter how well I do, I may not get what I want. I may just have been too competitive, or somebody else just may have been better than me. That happens all the time, but if if you have this line of thinking, you're never going to allow yourself to respond honestly to that kind of failure. I'm calling it failure. It could be you know, it, it doesn't have to be something that's that's disappointing necessarily. But if you think that way, you don't allow yourself to actually respond how you need to when you fail. Which is reflecting, what do I need to do to get better? You know, what do I need to do to reach that point? But if everything is framed in the sense of, a white person is always out to get me. You never have that self-reflection time, and I think, I think it's sad. I, I, I think it really hurts people to think that way. And finally, it sends out a damned if you do, damned if you don't message to the rest of the world. So basically, nobody else can talk about your issues. You can't have a discussion with anybody else unless they're of your unless they look like you. You can't have a discussion about just about any issue in the world as long as it can somehow be traced to race. So for Justin Timberlake, you know, he was applauding what Jesse Williams said. And I don't agree with what Jesse Williams said, but Justin Timberlake was praising it and he gets blasted by people. Now, if he was to come out and say this is what I disagree with from what Jesse Williams said, he would have gotten blasted probably even harder. But there, there's no way to win. Like I said, damned if you do, damned if you don't. And it, it makes people of other races just not want to talk about it. Just want to sweep it under the rug. And I don't think that's a way to solve any problems. By just sweeping it under the rug. But that's, I mean, that's the impression that you're giving. You know, it makes it so I don't want to tune into it. If I see something about race, I don't want to click on it because it's just going to make me angry. Because I know that even if I have something valuable to contribute, nobody's going to listen to me. And I, I don't think that's the message that you want to give off to other people. But I think there is a bright side to all this. I know this is kind of depressing, probably, to listen to. But there is a bright side. I think the people that push this mes- message are getting more and more desperate. 
And I think more sane people are starting to realize that and are starting to realize, you know what? Yes, maybe the society isn't perfect and it's not perfectly equal, but it might be it might be the most equal racially diverse society that there's ever been on planet Earth and there are a ton of opportunities for me. So just look at I mean look at <laughs> look at the instances of racism now that they're resorting to to calling out. They're so infinitesimally infinitesimally I, well, I can't say that, infinitesimally small. Like, oh, you like black music too much, or you're too big of a fan of black athletes. Like, that's the racism now that's out there. The, the racism. And there's so many fantastically talented black people out there that have succeeded in areas traditionally dominated by other races. Neil deGrasse Tyson might be the most famous scientist on the planet, Barack Obama holds arguably the most visible position in the world. Oprah, uh, Oprah is the richest woman in the United States. Th- there's not a nationwide conspiracy out there to keep black people down. And if there was one, it would be probably the least effective conspiracy ever implemented. Um, basically, what I want to end with here is what has worked for the black community throughout history has been family, education, and entrepreneurship. It hasn't been big government handouts or policies implemented from above, and being a victim hasn't worked. And throwing the word racism at everything, all that it does is diminish actual cases of of racism. And it still does exist. I want to make sure that I make that clear, that I know that there are individual cases of racism out there where people still do hold very backward notions about particular groups of people, including blacks. Just as blacks hold very backward views of whites and trace their views of whites back to a time when none of us would even know where we were if we were transported back then. We wouldn't even understand how they thought basically. And so just throw the word racism at everything. All it does is diminish actual cases of racism. And I have another Thomas Sowell quote, because I do like this one. Um, The word racism is like ketchup. It can be put on practically anything, and demanding evidence makes you a racist. So just because it can be thrown on everything doesn't mean it should be thrown on everything. And all it does is make people tune out. Like I said before, if there's if there's something that comes up about race or about racism, it makes me now not even want to click on it, not even want to watch the video, not even want to engage in the conversation because I know and maybe I don't know, maybe there maybe it actually could be a case of real racism that I should know about. But I'm thinking it's going to be one of these trumped up charges of racism where nothing bad was intended and nothing bad was actually even said. Kind of like this Justin Timberlake thing, where all he was doing was praising what somebody said, and now he gets attacked by all these people on Twitter because they're saying, you appropriated our culture, you appropriated our music. Also, I know I talked talked quite a bit about kind of how the whole legacy of slavery argument is null and void, and really it's it's a terrible argument. But even if it wasn't a terrible argument, 
how many people in the United States today are descended from people who owned slaves? And even more, I mean, not even to that level, how many people in the United States, how many white people in the United States are descended from people who who were in the United States while slavery was still an institution? I know I wasn't. You know, I come from German and Irish immigrants, and they all came in the late 1800s and later. They weren't here when slavery was ongoing. And lots of people are like that. Any Eastern European immigrants or people in the United States now who, who descend from Eastern European descendants or Russian descendants, chances are almost assuredly that they weren't here when slavery was still going on. So I think to frame everything in terms of slavery, I think it's, it's lazy, to be honest. And it's, it's not really appreciating the history of this country, which the vast majority of people here now are descended from people who were not here at that time period. They were not here when the revolution was fought. They weren't here when the Civil War was fought. So I want to make that clear. But then, even if, even if we all were descended from former slave owners, none of us alive today owned slaves or were slaves in the United States. Maybe there's, there are probably some people who have immigrated here who may have been slaves at, at one point in another country where it actually still happens. You know, like Saudi Arabia or many African countries. Slavery still does exist. But I just want to make it clear that... None of us have been affected in our lifetimes by slavery. And the majority of us do, are not descended from former slave owners. And we're not even here to fight the battle to end slavery. And finally, I'll actually end this time. I know I, I ranted on a little bit longer, but um, another Thomas Sowell quote. I always appreciate the chance to throw in some Thomas Sowell into conversation. I really do recommend reading him if you haven't. But uh, this, is, this might be my all-time favorite quote by him. But If you've always believed that everyone should play by the same rules and be judged by the same standards, that would have gotten you labeled a radical 60 years ago, a liberal 30 years ago, and a racist today. And that lends itself probably better to, an, to a discussion about affirmative action, which I'm not going to go into on this podcast because I'm sure it'll come up. There'll probably be some big story about affirmative action at some point and I'll want to discuss it. But I think this is important, where I think the, the majority of people on, on both sides, whites and blacks alike, just want this discussion to be over. The vast majority of us, we don't hold these backward views on race. We want to treat everybody equally. We want the best person for the job to get the job, the best person for that spot in school to get that spot in school. We want this to be a meritocracy. But the more that we keep forcing race down people's throats, the more it's going to be an issue from both sides. The more you're going to get racists on the white side that wouldn't have been otherwise. So I want to thank you for listening, for listening to me rant. I hope this isn't too controversial or anything. I'd love to hear if anybody has any responses or if there's any backlash. I would love to have a a respectful conversation. So... I appreciate it, and hopefully I'll have another one out later this week if any other big story comes up that I want to talk about. Okay, thank you.